Hi, and welcome to the DP World Tours Life on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Porter. And in today's episode, we're chatting to one of the most well-liked players in the world of professional golf, and he really enjoyed quite a career resurgence in 2022. Oliver Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Well, the season of 2022 finished up a few weeks ago in Dubai. Where can we find you at the moment? Uh, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina now, enjoying a bit of family time. Um, so, yeah, it's been nice to get away from some golf. Well, you made the move from London to Charlotte a couple of years ago. Uh, why Why was that? Well, we're still in the process of that, so I'm not fully here yet. But um, it's just, uh, it was always the plan. Um, my wife's American. Um, I've got a four-year-old and a nine-month-old. So we were kind of, when COVID hit, we kind of, you know, looking into the future and trying to figure things out. And, we, you know, we knew we were always going to settle in Charlotte at some stage. Um, so COVID kind of fast-tracked. Uh, so the family moved over here. Um, and I've been basically traveling backwards and forwards. Um, so it's been a it's been a rough couple of years travel-wise, but it's uh, it's been better for the family. And uh, when I am over here, I can practice and prepare pretty well. So um, we're, we're still figuring it all out and trying to make it work as best it can for us, for a family of four. But... Um, it's hard being away so much because I'm having to leave the family a lot. Um, but overall, I think it's been a positive move. Some great golf courses there. Great city as well, Charlotte. What's the home club? Um, so I play most of my stuff, my, most of my golf at Carolina Golf Club, um, which is mm-hmm. right by the airport. Nice, um, like an old Donald Ross course. So the greens are fantastic, fast and slopey and little ledges and tucked pins. So it's great practice. Um, and then I yeah, do a little bit of work out at Charlotte Country Club as well. They've been very good to me and, um, that, they've got a fantastic facility, so I'm I'm pretty covered. It's it's a nice place to be uh, doing my uh, my work away from tour. Well, another month or so until the 2023 season begins in Abu Dhabi. What's the plans prior to that? How will you prepare? So I've got my coach flying in, uh, Greg Brody. He's flying in um, on Wednesday, Thursday uh, this week. So uh, we're going to do a few days' work before Christmas, and and basically I'll be here until then. So I'll be doing. Um, well, basically getting back into it this week um, and working all the way up to Abu Dhabi um, and then flying straight there and hopefully be ready to go. One win, but no other top 10s in 2022. How would you sum up your year? Um, I would give it um, uh, like a B minus, I think would be fair. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because... I've loved, you know, it's been a great year. Um, it's, well, it's been a very good year. Um, and I was really pleased with where I finished um, on the order of merit, 41st. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I would have obviously bit your hand off at 41st. Um, mm-hmm. But there was, like you said, there was no other top 10. So I had one win uh, where I played great. And um, I had a lot of good weeks where I played solid, but I, I just really struggled putting four rounds together and still mm-hmm. working on some things with my game. Um, so I've just been lacking the consistency. But that being said, like most weeks I've had a lot of good stuff in different areas and my, my driving is what's always held me back and that's becoming better. I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit more, um, piecing it all together really. Um, so overall, there's been a lot of positivity. Um, the win was a great stepping stone. Um, great to get you know some security for the next couple of years so I can continue to work on what I'm doing and um, it makes it more exciting and uh, looking into the future, what can happen. Um, you know, I feel like the best, my best golf is ahead of me. So it's uh, it's quite exciting. I'm enjoying my golf more than ever. Well, it's good to hear. Great attitude as well. Now, we'll talk about that win 
shortly, but you turned pro in 2003 after a successful stint at Augusta State University, graduated from the Challenge Tour in 2004, and then from 2006 through 2010, you amassed the following. Nine runner-ups, Ryder Cup debut in 2008, you finished 7th, 11th, 30th, 48th on the race to Dubai. Some terrific golf there. And then in 2011, uh, 130th in the race to Dubai to lose your full playing privileges. What happened that season? Was it technical, mental? It was just a, um, a downward spiral, really. It started off in, I think we were out in Bahrain and I was ill. And like I woke up on the Thursday morning, I think it was, and I was sick and and just felt awful um like a month later i forgot where we were the same thing happened again and then somewhere else and then wentworth um so i was staying at home and i kept putting it down to food poisoning and uh when i got to wentworth i was ill staying in my own house and my wife's cooking and she's a great cook so it clearly wasn't that um so i had some tests done and realized i was i had some stomach stuff going on and some ulcers and parasites that i picked up somewhere um and basically like that was like half the season gone and I'd struggled I'd played poorly um didn't really I was tired and not really you know nothing was really going right so I changed coach um and it was just a downward spiral Mm -hmm. so by the end of the year I um I remember going out to Hong Kong and I was struggling and the, the doctor told me I really needed to have some time off um I was like well you know I just can't I'm I'm fighting for my career kind of thing so um, I ended up taking some time off, not going to Q school because I just needed some rest and um, sort of worked on my game, started to get better. And then I broke my wrist in the in the February <laughs> the next year. Um, so it was just like a, a year of kind of not really understanding what the problem was and then making some decisions on um, without all the information, you know, so I, I made some decisions to t- change my coach and, I think I changed my caddy around the same time. And um, if I'd have known I was ill and I, that's why I was kind of struggling and, and fatigued all the time, you know, I probably would have done same things very differently. But, you know, golf's just a, a very strange game and momentum. And I had the momentum going in the wrong way. And I just really had no way of turning it around. I, I kind of, as soon as I lost my card, I think that's what's interesting about the tour is when you're on the tour environment and you have your coach out on tour and physio and, you're kind of people you're working with all the time. You're you're out there, but as soon as you're out of that environment, it becomes hard to see them and, and get time with them as much as you ever used to. Um, so I really struggled with that. And then when I changed mm-hmm. coaches, it was like starting fresh. I just struggled and got worse, and I started to swing the club really poorly. And uh, the following few years, um, I played really nicely for a little period in 2012, I think it was. Um, and then after that, I wasn't. I was working with a guy over here, a good friend of mine, Scott Hamilton. Um, but he was in in the states, and uh, I was playing in Europe, so I wasn't getting to see him very much. And trying to do it over the phone, and just didn't work. And um, I played poorly, lost my card, and, and then ended up really struggling on Challenge Tour. So it's funny how kind of one decision, one thing, kind of just escalates, um, and it's very easily done in golf. So it's that's something I learned to try and maybe look at bigger pictures and um just be careful you know when you when you make a, t- a change in your golfing environment and your team in uh in professional sports and especially golf you kind of need to have all the information and 
and try and uh, just think it through a little bit more. It's very easy to be a bit hot-headed and, <laughs> and jump the gun on th- some things. Uh, yeah, it's uh, something I'm all too familiar with, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> how, how tough was that pill to swallow when you went back to the Challenge Tour in 2013, almost a decade since you'd played there previously? Yeah, it was pretty tough. I mean, I... Um... I prided myself on never being to, uh, never had been to Q school before then. Um, and then suddenly I was back at Q school. I didn't, I missed by one or two, I think. Um, but then I went to play challenge tour and I was terrible. I was, I was playing poor. Um, and I, I just was lost. I couldn't, I, I bounced around from a few different coaches and we weren't getting anywhere and I was getting worse. And, and that's, that was where it was really hard for a couple of years out there. I just couldn't see any way back. Um, which was um, a really lonely place when you've been, when you've experienced playing the majors and the world events and you've been playing, you know, in the States, basically picking your schedule in, in the world of golf uh, for two and a half years to go to shooting 80 on the challenge tour was, was hard. It, it was hard mm. to take. And um, you kind of find out who your friends are real quick. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was, it was tough, but you know, it makes you stronger. And I learned a lot from that whole period. Um, and I think, uh, I think a lot of that experience has helped me, um, in the last you know four or five years. Well, from 2012 to 2018, you only finished in the top 100 in the race to Dubai once. And that was in 2014 when you scored probably one of the most improbable and emotional victories in the history of professional golf. When you took down Rory in the Alfred Dunhill links, uh, down the stretch, uh, Tell us about that week because you were playing the Challenge Tour at the time. Yeah, it was, it was such a weird um, couple of weeks. So I was out in um, Kazakhstan, second to last tournament on the Challenge Tour, and I'd been terrible, as you said. And and I was thinking, right, um, I've got Q school in a month or so, and that's my last-ditch effort at, at playing golf, and I'm ready to do something else. I, I can't keep doing this. Wow. Mm. Um, so I went. I was in, he's in Kazakhstan. Um, played Thursday morning and I was terrible but I got it round in like one over par and I, I was just like emotionally worn out and my um, my caddy that uh, was a good friend of mine Richard Hill was caddying for Robert Rock and he said send us some swings Rocky will have a look and get back to you so I sent him some videos on the Thursday afternoon in Kazakhstan so Kazakhstan's like three hours ahead I think of the UK so I went to bed. I woke up in the morning and I had this big, long email from Rocky, bit by bit, what I needed to do. And I read through it and I was like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. So I jumped out of bed, went up to the course and practiced for a few hours before I played. Started to feel like, okay, I can kind of, this feels a bit better. <laughs> I teed off on the first, straight down the middle, three wood, hold a wedge on the first hole, made eagle. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Hit it to like six inches on two with a seven iron. And then I think I eagled the third. I'm like, all right, all right, there's, some, there's something here. So I, I shot, I was 10 under on the 18th and bogey the 18th, I think. Um, and so I was leading. Um, and I kind of I hung in there over the weekend, but I, I finished, I think I finished like top 10, but it was the first decent result I'd had all year pretty much. Um, but it, it didn't get me into the grand final. So I had, I think that actually there was one more event in Spain. And then Dunhill, Guy Sannon and Johan Rupert very kindly reached out and said, look, there's an invite for you at the Dunhill, uh, the, the Dunhill links, which normally I would have bit their hand off. But I was like trying to figure out 
what the best solution is to, you know, if I went to Spain and played well, I could get to the grand final and get my card. Whereas if I went to the Dunhill, I'm basically just playing one tournament, a lovely tournament, which I love. Um, but there was no end game there. But then I, <laughs> so this is my, this was where my thinking was at. I thought, you know what? The best prep for Q school is I'm guaranteed three rounds at the Dunhill links. So Spain will probably be two rounds. I can get three rounds in on good courses and enjoy myself a bit more. So I'll go and do that. And uh, I went home. I had, I think I had two weeks practice with Rocky before the Dunhill. And uh, we worked seriously hard. I hit a lot of golf balls. Um, and rebuilt my swing in pretty much two weeks and uh, went out and had no expectation. I was literally just trying to make the cut and I got off to a hot start and shot the course record up Carnoustie. Um, and, you know, golf, once you get going and get a feeling, you kind of can ride it out. And I, I played great. Tee to green, I was as good as I'd ever been. And I didn't particularly put that well, but I was so good tee to green. I just got in the mix and managed to hang in there and, and get over the line at the end to, you know, Tommy, um, I played with Tommy on Sunday and he pushed me all the way and it was great. You know, it's such an amazing week, but it completely changed my career really, because it was, if that hadn't have, if, even if I had finished like 20th, pretty much my career was done because I couldn't see me going to Q school and getting my card. So um, it was my last ditch, uh, that last ditch effort um, and managed to, uh, get over the line so it was phenomenal it was, it was such an amazing week that i'll never forget and what a place to win as well at the home of golf and uh, you know you mentioned you played with tommy i remember he had like a an eight or ten foot putt i think it was for birdie on the last hole to force a playoff um what was i, I mentioned earlier you're one of the most well-liked players out there what was the reaction from your fellow peers like over the next week or two oh it was amazing um i think that's one of the most special things about the whole week was the, the response i got i had so many people getting in touch um, yeah, you know, when you play golf and then you have a loss in form, a lot of people don't know what to say to you. Um, it's because it's awkward. Um, so a lot of people don't say anything, but then when I, when I won, there were so many people came out, um, to go out their way to, to congratulate me. And, um, it was nice. It was, it was such a, an amazing win and, and to stand, on the steps of the old course clubhouse and look back down the 18th with a trophy in your hand was a special, but then, you know, it, it kind of dragged out with the response over the following week. So it's, um, yeah, it's, winning, winning is great on tour. I've only done it twice, but it just doesn't last very long. Um, but with the response, it kind of helped drag that out a little bit longer. So, um, it's, uh, it was a, yeah, just an incredibly special week. I don't really have any more words to express my feelings for that week. It was just, uh, in incredible. That was a two-year exemption, again, for winning the Dunhill Links. That ran out at the end of 2016. 2017, you were back on the Challenge Tour again, and earlier you alluded to the fact that you were close to giving it away. Was that feeling expedited again when you went back in 2017? Um, so after the Dunhill, it, it kind of – I kind of hit this sweet spot during the Dunhill, and then after that it was I was kind of trying to hang on to that feeling, and I never could. It was just sort of drifting away from me. Um, and I didn't get to work with Rocky as much as I wanted because we were both playing and different schedules and stuff. So it was, it was a hard period to kind of get the work done and I struggled. And then I tried a change coach at the end of the year to try and get a bit more time and that didn't work. Um, so yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of thinking along the same lines again. Um, mainly because 
my short game and putting was okay. It's always been my strength, but it wasn't as good as it always had been, but it was okay. Iron play was okay, but my driving was just terrible. And if you don't drive the ball well in professional golf, you know, you've got no chance really. Um, so it was just became really hard. And there, there was a lot of things on my mind around that time, trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I, I guess, you know, I started to surround myself with, with people that I could rely on. Um, Rob Golden was a huge part of that. I reached back out to him. I'd stopped working with him for a few years and reached back out to him and he really helped me kind of, it was one of those things I had nothing going. There was nowhere where I could see positivity in my game. So I started in the gym where I knew I could accomplish and become and create some positive mindsets and some confidence and start building. So I started there and then that kind of crept into my golf and we started to put some things in place, um, started to work on some better things and um, went to see James Ridyard who helped me quite a lot with my golf swing and started with a short game, evolved to my golf swing and kind of started to build something and create some momentum and understand the timing of my golf swing maybe a little bit more and was able to take that onto the challenge tour and um, get my card back. So I, I think I won ended up winning a couple of times. Maybe that was a little bit later. It kind of blurs in. I've kind of put that stuff out of my mind now, so it kind of blurs in. But it was a rocky period. It was up and down, but then, you know, I just kind of kept hanging in there. Um, and it's all you can really do, just keep hanging in there if you're doing the right things. And I kept kind of being really ruthless with how I was, how I was um, evaluating myself and my routines and my environment. And I felt like quite often I needed to change my environment I wasn't setting myself setting myself up for success, so I kept kind of changing things and and create a better environment with my team and how I was doing things, and that kind of started to fall into place and start yeah start building some momentum and some confidence. So um, it didn't happen straight away, but it's it kind of it's taken a while to for last year to kind of come to fruition. So what would you have done if you gave the game away? So. I kind of thought about what I'm good at um, and what I enjoy and, but then also what you, you know, kind of what you can sell as yourself. So teaching golf was kind of one thing that I thought about golf course design was another property um, was another. So around that time, I, I was kind of like just focusing on my golf until the end of the year and then we'll kind of figure that out. Um, but <laughs> The second time when in 2016, um, when I was approaching that, I, I realized that, you know, obviously also when you're playing poorly, the sponsors dry up. So there's not much money coming in and money's going out pretty quickly when you're playing professional golf. So I started a development company up with my brother and we built some houses. He's, he's a builder. Um, so we, we basically did that for a, a year and I did all the, the paperwork and accountancy. So I was playing playing challenge tour and go back to my B&B &B and I had everything all laid out, all the accounts and everything, um, making phone calls and kind of organizing that side of things. So I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but then I got my card back the following year, I think 20, or, yeah, 2018. Um, and I realized I couldn't keep doing that. It was, it was taking too much time away. So, um, we, we re rejig things, but, um, yeah, various things, but I think property and, and teaching and some stuff in commentating and, and being in the golf world was kind of always there. The golf world's pretty wide, right? So there's there's a lot of things that you can 
merge into um, if you want to. Well, let's talk about another memorable week in your career, which was the 2022 Made in Himaland. Um, you'd made the two cuts prior to that, but you hadn't had a top 30 finish in six months prior. Did did you have any inkling about about what was about to happen that week? I know you finished fourth there in 2019, so there were obviously good vibes. Yeah, I did. It, it was, um, like I said, last year was a little bit strange in the fact that I had so much momentum building throughout the year. Now, if you just looked at my results, then I totally get that you wouldn't see that. Um, but I made a lot, I made quite a few cuts and the cuts that I missed were all by one or maybe two, but pretty much by one. I missed a lot by a shot, which was very frustrating, but I felt my game was building. Um, it was improving. And like I said, I, I, my team that I was working with, we started to really work together better, um, more efficiently. And I felt like we were all, we all felt like we were, we were building something and we still are. Um, but it kind of was in the summer, I kind of got a bit more clarity with things, what I was working on. And then going back to Himmeland um, with, you know, good vibes. I've done well there before. I kind of feel like I know what you need to do around that golf course. And so I had a really good game plan. Um, but on top of that, I um, I was practicing on the Tuesday and kind of found a feeling. Um, and I was I was staying with, the, I was rooming with Jamie Donaldson in a, in a house on site. And I went back, I was like, I've got it. I've got the secret. You know, as we all do now and again, but I was jokingly. Um, and usually when that happens, the next day it's gone. So you kind of expect it. And I kind of kept having it. And I was like, this is getting better and better. Um, really had a lot of control. And um, it was very it was very much a dynamic flow and liberating to swing the golf club like that, to be honest. And uh, it just kept, yeah, it was good all week. And played nicely I've got I had a new caddy on the bag that came on in the in the summer Pete Blyfield um and so we had yeah just all contributed to the momentum and the processes and systems we put in place and we we just executed it really well and uh I, I, I did the important stuff really well around there and um managed to get over the line again so that one was a lot more fun than the Dunhill because I was I could enjoy it a little bit more I felt like the, the most pleasing thing about Himmelin was I was in control the whole way and the Dunhill I was hanging on like I, I was I couldn't feel anything it was such a big moment for me whereas Himmelin was this big moment but I I re, sort of reinvented my game to play the kind of golf that I wanted to play and I was able to enjoy that and it was so satisfying so satisfying to play that kind of golf and and win in the way I did so it was um, yeah very pleasing it's interesting hearing you talk about how calm you were that week because heading into that event, you were still outside the cutoff mark for players to keep their card at the end of the season. And you shot 66, 65, 65 to enter that final round tied for the lead. It was a four-way tie for the lead, a jam-packed leaderboard. And upon reflection, I mean, really top two, maybe a top three finish was probably enough to guarantee you keeping your card. So to hear you talk about how calm you were even that Sunday morning did you wake up feeling nervous anxious at all or, or did you you just had a feeling of what was about to happen um well I would say that you know you never know what's going to happen but I was pretty confident I was going to win um because mm. I knew I'm, I know I'm capable when I'm swinging the club well I know I'm capable of winning I feel like anywhere and I was swinging the club well but more importantly I know that golf course I feel like I know that golf course really well. 
and the weather was tricky. It was a little breezy. I didn't feel like the scoring would be super low. Um, so I felt in control and I was clear with what with what I was doing with my feels. Um, and I got off to a nice start hitting good golf shots and then made, um, I, but I didn't make any birdies. So I was kind of hanging there and it's an easyish start to the course and then hit it in the water on five. Uh, but I made par, but I felt like the tournament was slipping away from me. But I've, you know, I've been doing this quite a while and I felt like if I could just hang in there and stay patient. And when that's exactly what I did, and I started hitting some good golf shots, gave myself an absolute ton of chances. I would say I've never given mm. myself so many chances when I've been in contention before, which again was something that was really nice because it's something I've, I've worked on. Um, but I couldn't, <laughs> then my putting deserted me and I missed every putt I, could, I looked at through the middle of the round. Um, so I was still trailing. Um, but, I, you know, just stayed positive and um, mm. patient. And then suddenly, you know, it's golf. So I suddenly hold a 65-footer, which completely changed my feelings about the round. I finally got something in the hole and got some momentum. Um, and it had a nice little spell. And then hold another one on 17, which was like, okay, this is now mine. If I if I want to win this, it's mine. Um and one of the things I, I've always, you know, when I do get into contention, I always try to remind myself that it doesn't happen very often. Um, so if, if you're going to win tournaments, you've got to take every chance you get. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I just kept telling myself, you've got to take this chance, you've got to take this chance. And then we had about a 10-minute wait on the 18th tee, so that was an eternity. But, you know, that, that golf course is one of those where it's a, it's a cracking course because no matter what you do, you know, you've got to get past the 18th hole. Um, because it's uh, it's a tough tee shot. So I, I, you know, even holding the putt on seventeen, I'm like, okay, well, it is mine. I've just got to hit this. I've got to hit this tee shot in play, and it's mine. Um, and I hit the best shot at it all week. Um, absolutely nutted it down the middle. So it was, um, yeah, hugely rewarding and and uh, fun. It was. I would say that that was the thing about it all. It's so rewarding to play golf how I wanted to play, and have fun doing it because. A lot of my golf, even when I was top 50 in the world and playing well, I wouldn't describe my golf as fun being out there. It was it was hard work and stressful, but then I enjoyed it once I got in. I enjoyed the results when I got in, but the, during the moment, it wasn't particularly fun. Whereas I've been playing more golf this year that's more fun whilst I'm playing it, which is my goal, really. Do you think that's just maturing as a golfer and as a person? Uh, probably both. I mean, it's something that I've worked on. Um I've been working with a guy called Carl Steptoe for a couple of years and we've kind of, he's, he's kind of opened my mind a little bit more to, to some things and, and get, try and give myself a break a little bit and what's important. And it's really helped. He's, he's been fantastic for me um, in, in my outlook. And that's been one of our major goals um, to have more fun um, playing golf. So I guess it's a you know it's a combination of maturity and life and having two kids uh, you know things things change priorities change and um, the, the the whole the all all of it's changed I guess over the last few years you know you, you play golf for such a long period of time you you become a different person during that time when you're still playing golf so um, it's 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 just nice that yeah I've been able to, to kind of make those changes and transition and and feel like I'm now enjoying my golf more than I ever have. I think you sold yourself short about that tee shot on 18. I was actually there calling the event that week in Denmark and 
that's probably one of the hardest tee shots on tour there at 18. And I remember you waiting around for five, 10 minutes. I mean, that must have been incredibly stressful. But not only did you pump it 310 down the 18th, but as you do, you hit it off the deck and then uh, hit a nice approach shot in there, two putted for the win. And then I remember the interview with George off the side of the green, how emotional you were. Uh, I mean, we were tearing up in the commentary box watching it. How, how would you compare? I know you said it was you were able to enjoy it more, but how would you compare that victory to the Dunhill, given where you know your career was at? Just completely different. Um, like like I said earlier, the Dunhill was um, yeah, the Dunhill I had no confidence, um, and I was just playing great golf. But there was no confidence. There was nothing underlying confidence to know I can get the job done. Well, mm. that's, maybe that's not strictly true. I knew I could get the job done, but I was shaking. I had no feel. Like it was, it was a life-changing moment. Um, I was incredibly nervous. And, yeah, it was just a bit of more of a blur, a very, very stressful situation. Whereas, like I said, the Himalayan was completely different because whilst my results didn't look that good, um, that I was playing that well and I was outside with keeping my card, I knew I was playing better golf than that and I was building confidence and there was momentum all around me and everything I was doing. So it was just a natural progression. So I was in control. I was playing great golf and I knew I was going to get the job done. Now, you, you know, you tell yourself that you have that feeling. You don't know if it's going to happen, but I felt good that it was going to happen. Um, so I was just, that's why I was so, I was quite surprised about my reaction when I won because I was enjoying the moment. I, Tried, I waited until I hit the shot into the green. And when I hit that shot in there, I was like, okay, I think I can, I should be able to manage a two putt from there. You can start to enjoy this a little bit um, because that's one of the things that I missed so much at the Dunhill that I didn't get to enjoy it until it was done uh, because I was waiting on Tommy to hold an eight footer, which I was pretty certain he was going to hold. Uh, that's always been the case. I had nine runners up or 10 runners up before then and everybody had always done something to beat me. Um, so I thought Tommy would do the same, but this time it was in my control and, you know, I hit two cracking shots down 18 and I was able to enjoy it. And when I hold out, I was like, this is amazing because I'm enjoying, I'm in the moment. This is what it's all about. And I was so calm. I was absolutely rock solid until, until he asked me the question (laughs) and then it all came, it all came bundling through. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm an emotional guy. It would be nice to have another win and not cry on TV um, and, and just enjoy it properly. But um, I can handle it if I have to cry every time. Yeah, well, you're not the only one who's done it and you won't be the last either. And, and, and you said earlier that you've felt or you feel like you've got your best golf ahead of you. Is that because of all the systems you've got in place now with your team around you? Uh, largely due to that, yeah. Um, I think the, the underlying fact of that is, the, you know, I, I'm 42 and a few years ago I started to see what was happening in golf and, long drive became more popular and people were starting to just take notice. And I, I started to follow Lee Cox a lot and Joe Miller through the, through my Callaway connection and hanging out. Well, I didn't hang out with him a lot, but I spent a little bit of time with Joe and seeing what he did and doing some golf days with him. And I was blown away and it was like, okay, well, this is creep. This is going to creep into golf. And I don't, I'm not a particularly great driver of the golf ball. I don't hit it that straight and I'm average length. So I might as well get long. And if I'm still wide, at least I'm longer. And so I started to do, during COVID, I started to work on my length and 
um, I've added quite a lot of speed. And it just, it's funny how you just go to golf courses and you know, you look at the course so differently and you feel like there's courses there that I've always struggled on. I'm like, actually, I can really see a low score now. And I haven't figured that out fully yet. You know, I'm not as fast. I, I, I got my club head speed up to 130 um, last month. You know, I can't take that, that to the course. But if I can get it up to 120 comfortably on the course, then that's a huge advantage for me and it's to where I've been. And that's when you start to hit driver and you can take bunkers on and you can hit it hard. And uh, it, like I said, it, there's still a long way to go with it, but it starts to, it starts to make it more fun. It's just fun to hit the driver hard. And once you start doing that, you can start making more birdies. And so that's the, that was the catalyst. But then I've got a really good team. I've got Greg, Greg Brody, my coach, Pete Blyfield's on the bag, Rob Goldup as my trainer, physio and guru and uh, Carl Steptoe. So, everybody's contributed quite a lot this year um, and it's taken some time to, to kind of put things in place, how I've always envisioned it. Um, I've tried it many a time in the, in the past, but it's never quite worked. Um, but it's, it definitely feels like it's working better now. And when things aren't quite right, we're able to recover them quicker, you know, and, and build some momentum and keep things going and turn a bad week into an average week. And, you know, just, bringing that floor up in my golf. If I can keep bringing the floor up, then I'm going to be in a great place because I know the quality of golf I'm capable of and, and the ceiling I have is is better than it's ever been, but my floor is still too low. But if I can continue to bring in that up, then I think it's uh, it's going to be an exciting uh, future in, my, in, in golf for me. Well, after that win in Denmark, you're exempt now through till the end of 2024. Living stateside with a young family, will you be a little more selective with your schedule going forward so you can spend a bit more time with your family? Um, well, it's one of those things. Yes, I, I will be. I will, I will definitely not push myself as much as I did last the last two years. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm still pretty hungry to to finish as high as I can. So. The, the great thing about the DP Wills tour schedule this year is, you know, they're starting to try and, and make it work a little bit better. And from a travel perspective for me, I look at the, I look at the tournaments and they fit in nice runs now, which is not usual. It's always been quite hard to, to piece together. And I think over the next couple of years, it's only going to get better. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I plan a lot better than I ever have. Um, and have things the things that I know work for me in place so that I can rock up to tournaments and feel like I'm ready to go as opposed to trying to find a golf swing and find a feeling for the week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the travel's a killer. You know, I've, I've been doing that for um, 18 years and um, it's not much fun. I mean, you, you're well aware of the travel, um, but it's it's just not fun, especially through COVID, like this, the, the way the airlines are at the moment, it's atrocious. Nobody really cares, and it's uh, it's not a whole lot of fun. So, um, my Apple Air tags have had a lot of use this year. Lost <laughs> luggage, um, so it's been it's been hard. So, anything, anytime you can reduce the travel stress in this game is going to be conducive to better golf. I think. Well, let's talk a little Ryder Cup. You made your one and only appearance back in two thousand and eight at Valhalla. You were playing for Captain Sir Nick Faldo. Uh, growing up as a young English lad in the 90s, was was he an idol, idol of yours? I assume he was. He was, yeah. Sebi was um, probably the first person when I started in, I started playing in 2000, in, in, sorry, in 1990. 
Um, and around then we went to the Belfry to watch the Ryder Cup. And the first shot I saw, I walked out to the 16th green and Seve hit, I don't know what it was, 9-9 or something, pitched it on the bank, one bounce, spun it back down the hill into the hole and won the hole. And I was like, wow, like, that's incredible. Um, so that was kind of my first moment. But yeah, Seve, Nick, um, and then a little bit later on, Tiger were people that I, I looked up to and um, kind of got me hooked on the game, I would say. How was your experience that week? I mean, world's best golfers there assembled playing. Did you really feel a sense of belonging? I did, yeah. I I, I was playing really good golf at the time. Um, yeah, I was a rookie. Um, but I earned my place on the team, which meant a lot to me. And the guys on the team I knew pretty well. Um, I, I'm from the same hometown as, as Lee Westwood. So he reached out to me before the tournament uh, before we flew out and gave me a little heads up what to expect. And, you know, the, it was great. It was, it was a fantastic week. Um, we just didn't win. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's one of those, it's a weird thing because it was still an amazing week, even though we lost for me, you know, I think everybody still enjoyed mm. it. I, th I think you can't not enjoy a week like that. Um, but it's, uh, it's just an incredible week. Like the, the atmosphere for seven, you know, for basically fly out on the Monday and you're on the go all day, every day, the adrenaline's going all the time. And then you walk down to the tee when you put, when you're playing and the atmosphere is insane. Um, but I loved it, you know, and I felt very confident. I think, you know, I was playing because I was playing good golf at the time. I was confident. I embraced it and loved it. And, and wanted to play every game. I think if you went in that environment and you weren't you weren't playing quite so well, it could be quite hard because um, it is pressurised. But it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, I was very pleased that I uh, I got a point on the board with Henrik. Um, Henrik actually requested to play with me. He kind of told Nick that he wanted to play with me, which was was fantastic for me. So I had that confidence knowing that, um, or that a feeling of comfort knowing that Henrik wanted to play with me and we, we played well and, and beat Mickelson and Kim. So that was a pretty special moment for me. Um, unfortunately, I didn't play um, again. I played so well in that game, but um, I didn't get the call up for the next few games until the singles. So it's a little bit disappointing not to play more considering I was playing well. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things. You were the only pair to take down Anthony Kim that week. That was his, uh, his only loss all week long. And uh was it a little bittersweet in that you only played one match, you know, given you were playing so well prior to the, uh, prior to the singles? Um, yes. Yeah, I would, I would say that. So it was, you know, I, I know, I don't think Nick was overly confident in me. Um, maybe because I hadn't won on tour before, you know, I earned my place on the team, but I hadn't won. Um, so he was hesitant. I was rookie, so I didn't play the first day, which I kind of understand. And then I, I don't think I was going to play the second day, but Henrik kind of, you know, put my name in the hat and got, got me a game. Uh, so I, was, I knew that we had to go out and, and kind of win if I wanted to get another game. And we were four down through six. So I was thinking, well, this is not going too well. Um, but we hung in there and played fantastic golf and, and managed to win two and one in the end. And I played so well that day. I felt like I'd earned um, the right or the, you know, to, to play in the afternoon. Um, 
but I never, I, you know, I never, I never only found out when I got in that um, I wasn't going to be reteeing it up. So I was pretty gutted to say the least, considering I did play, play really well. Um, I thought I might've gone out the next, you know, in the afternoon, uh, sorry, the next day, but um, not to be. So just, it was just the two appearances for me, which was still great. Um, and came up against Boo Weekly on the Sunday, which was, I know Boo, I knew him before. Um, he's, he's a good guy. Um, and he played awesome. It, I, I could, I, I played great um, and got stuffed. You know, I had no answer. I think I was four under, um, yeah. played really, really well. And just, I, I, I wasn't capable of beating him on that day. He was, he was amazing. So fair play to him, but it was disappointing. He was a ball striker in his prime. That's for sure. Now look, looking ahead to future Ryder Cups, obviously in 2023 in Italy, the landscape's going to look a little bit different with, um, with team Europe. Uh, I know Rory says there's a core seven, but the team's in need of some fresh new blood. What's your take on that? I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a very different looking team to any we've had before, um, which is which is normal, I guess. You know, go through cycles. Um, I think, I think you know, people have a lot of different opinions on the Ryder Cup team, but it's to me, it's just form. And young guys now, you can be a rookie, in my opinion. And if you've earned your place on that team as a rookie, you know, you, you're good enough. And we've got mm. stacks of players who are good enough to go and play on that team and go and play most games. Yes, it's a different environment. It's a different thing to anything we'll have ever experienced before. But um, our team looks pretty good. You know, we've got a lot of young guys who are fully confident. And when you certainly when you're a little bit younger and you're playing great golf, you're invincible. So it doesn't matter who you're coming up against, or, you know, arguably Tiger. But then if you play someone like Tiger, the pressure's off because you're expected to lose. So it's kind of, it, it kind of works both ways, I guess. Um, but I, I just think we've got a really good team. The US have a, yeah, they're stacked um, as, as usual. They've got momentum. But we're going to have a different team. We're going to have a very young team. But, you know, when you look at head-to-head games, I think it'll be a great Ryder Cup. Um, the course, I think the course is maybe still favours the US a little bit, but I'm sure there'll be some tweaking and, and setting up things a little bit differently to try and favour us as much as you can. But um, it would be nice to make that team. You know, it's uh, it's still a, it's a, lo- a long, long way off, but, um, you know, it would, we'll see what happens. But there's, there are, you know, there are a lot of guys that are already pretty much wrapped up for, that, for those spots. So there's not many spots available, even though we're so far out. Do you think the players will be working hard on their fitness prior to that week? Because that golf course is on the side of a mountain. It's very, very hilly. Yeah, it's not that bad. Uh, there's a lot of people said <laughs> how, how hilly it was, but I didn't really. It is hilly, but I didn't. When I played, I didn't play this year, but I played the the year before, and yeah, I thought it was all right. I didn't didn't think it was too bad in hilly. I think maybe the caddies felt felt it more than the players, but <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Um, I think it'll be it will actually the course will put on a great show. I think the finish, the finishing holes are exciting. Um, it'll be, ex- it'll be, it will be, as hopefully as long as the games go, to, you know, make it to the last few holes, it'll be, a, it'll be a phenomenal, phenomenal week. Uh, looking ahead to the future, you mentioned before that you'd love to get a third victory. Obviously, I'm sure a fourth and a fifth as well. But making a second Ryder Cup team would that be right near the top of the list? If I'm being completely honest, no, it's not. 
Um, so, and I, the reason I say that is, so I played in 2008 in Valhalla and I earned my PJ tour card in 2010 through playing well in 2009. And I turned my PJ tour card down because I wanted to make the 2010 team so badly. And I felt like if I was playing both tours, I was going to probably struggle to do that. The, the players at that time that were playing heavily in the US or in Europe, I felt like I needed to concentrate on one or the other. So I turned it down and then I, I got injured and, and ill. Um, so it turned out to be about probably the worst decision I've ever made in my life, in my golfing life. Um, so I think there's a bit, you know, the Ryder, I would love to play another one, absolutely, but it's not something that I'm, you know, locked on to focusing on. All I'm really bothered about at the moment is to continue to improve. And if I keep improving, trying to get into contention more, trying to win more tournaments, then that kind of stuff will take care of itself. Um, it would be pretty cool to, to play after so long. Um, but, you know, there's, there's loads of guys that have played when they're they're in the 40s, so... Um, it's definitely doable and I'm as fit as, as anyone, I guess, in, in their 40s in, in, in golf. So um, it's doable and it's something that is kind of on the periphery, but it's not a, a main focus, I would say. Well, Oliver Wilson, thank you very much for joining us today on the Life on Tour podcast. You've got a fascinating story. You've had a fantastic career and uh, enjoy the holiday break. And uh, we look forward to watching you again in 2023. Thanks, you, and Thanks for having me on. 